0: You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. We're your hosts. I'm Luna. And I'm Shannon. We're both clinical
1: psychotherapists
0: who trained together at Johns Hopkins. Now we are both in private practice in Tampa, Florida, and in Baltimore, Maryland. We also both happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, we work to demystify the tarot and explore its connections to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. Join us while we pull cards to better understand ourselves and those around us. Hey, Luna. Hey, Shannon. We are so excited to welcome a special guest onto the podcast today, Nicholas Bruno. Nicholas is an artist based in New York and works in the mediums of photography, sculpture, and costume design. He uses art as therapy to combat against his experiences with sleep paralysis.
1: Yeah, and over the pandemic, Nicholas created the Somnia Tarot, a 78 image series that tells the tale of the classic tarot through his dreams and nightmares, which you have without a doubt seen all over social media.
0: We were first drawn to Nicholas's work simply because it's breathtaking. But as therapists, we quickly realized the importance of the Somnia because we know how important sleep health is and how important sleep hygiene is in the realm of mental health. This is what originally led us to ask Nicholas to join us for an interview.
1: It was Nicholas's haunting images and the diagnostic component of sleep paralysis that captivated Luna and I and made extending an invitation to be on the podcast inevitable. As we prepared to interview Nicholas, we discovered that his creative journey with the Somnia Terra was not just a story of sleep paralysis, but also a
0: display of resilience. So much so. And this embodies our own work as therapists and in this podcast. What we do is we seek to help people build something meaningful and beautiful, even out of life's hardest moments. We have been profoundly touched by nicholas's story and by his personal character his story is one that's very much worth listening to even for people who don't care at all about tarot
1: we are so honored to have the opportunity to sit down with nicholas today and explore his artistic process and inspiration while also unraveling the complex meanings behind many of the images in the somnia tarot
0: hi nicholas
2: hey how's it going
1: great how about
2: you i'm good
1: awesome hey
0: nicholas hey
1: (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today we both really appreciate it and we're super excited um, to have you you're actually the first guest on the podcast you're the first person we've, we've interviewed so thank you for for being that person for us
2: i feel honored um, i'm thankful to be here and i'm glad to talk to you guys
1: can you say a little bit about who you are like we already kind of introduced you already but maybe share a little bit um about yourself that you want our listeners
2: to know sure so i'm an artist based in new york um i work in the crafts of photography sculpture and costume design and a bunch of other things um what i've been doing is i've been creating surreal self-portraits based on my sleep paralysis experiences and that's been an artistic therapy for me ever since i was a teenager amazing so cool
0: uh we would love to start by talking about the sleep paralysis that just seemed like um an interesting intro into you and into your art but then we'd love to get into the deck um studies show that sleep paralysis impacts almost eight percent of the population which i had no idea it was that high of a number i thought it was really rare i've also read it's like four and six people will or four and ten people will have it at some point correct um I'm assuming that um, when you started sharing this project, and I know your work before doing this project, that people started reaching out to you who have also experienced sleep paralysis. I'm wondering if you have anything that you'd like to share about what you wish people knew about sleep paralysis and your own journey with it.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I, my earliest experiences with sleep paralysis were around maybe age six years old or seven years old, where um, I would wake up and I would not be able to move and I would start to freak out. And I would always feel like there was like a presence somewhere in my bedroom, or if I was sleeping maybe somewhere different, like the couch downstairs for a nap, I would wake up and not be able to move. And I would feel like there was an entity somewhere, maybe in the kitchen or somewhere else in my house. Um, And I had already been experiencing a lot of nightmares as a little kid. So I always just lumped it in together with those experiences and never really thought anything of it until I turned into a teenager where almost every single night I would have an experience. And these figures started appearing in my room where I would wake up and there would be this silhouette standing above my bed or a woman in a dress screaming into my ear while I'm completely frozen in bed. Um, And this totally freaked me out. And it's terrifying. (laughs) It disrupted every part of my life where I was failing my tests in school, wasn't able to, to actually stay awake in class, and I didn't know how to talk about it either. Um and growing up in a Greek Orthodox household, a lot of mm-hmm. other superstitions, they they really dictated a lot of things in my life. And I always thought while this was happening, oh maybe I'm possessed by a demon, or maybe my house is haunted. And we had a priest come and bless the house and nothing changed. But once I started putting my work out there online, um I started getting an outpouring of messages from people all around the world. Oh, I experienced that too. That's that's something that I go through too. And I finally figured out that sleep paralysis is, it's a medical condition that goes on all over the world. And that just kind of shifted my whole perspective where I was in a pit of depression because I'm thinking I'm, I'm possessed by a demon or something, but oh, it can yeah. be easily explained through um, a medical diagnosis. And I just, I want people around the world through my art to see it and, and learn more about the condition and understand that, okay, this is something that maybe I could remedy myself and I'm not doomed by whatever uh, supernatural entity has its clutches on me. It's more of a thing that can be remedied through positional therapy or another type of diagnosis.
0: Wow. Shannon, I know it's your turn, but like Nicholas, I have to tell you, this is why I wanted to interview you mm-hmm. because the story you just told is so impactful and I want people to hear about what it's like to go through something really traumatic and really hard and without having answers and being able to use it as a transformative experience. I really applaud that. And I'm so impressed by it. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I mean, and Luna, that actually kind of segues into something I wanted to explore too, because I'm sitting here, you know, when we were hearing about your story previously, you know, not even just as a therapist, but as a human, I'm going, oh my God, I can't even imagine what it was like to experience something so terrifying at the age of six, not being able to comprehend what was going on coming from that really religious family, probably being really scared. Like you said, oh my God, am I possessed by a demon? And, you know, as you, as you talk about the the progression from like six to, to teens and now, I feel like I I want to get nerdy for a second because last week on the podcast, we talked about the concept of uh, self-acceptance and and shadow work, which Carl Jung coined, you know, shadow work. And it's uh, one of the fundamental factors of self-acceptance is this idea of integration. And I feel like you've done such an incredible job, just a little bit that, that I think we've, you know, learned about you um, with integration regarding your sleep paralysis. So I'm, I'm interested, like, you know, how have you or your experience with sleep paralysis with your conscious waking life? Like, how has that process been for you? What did it look like? Um, Is it an ongoing process? Just kind of like walk us through
2: that. Right. So as a teenager, when I was going through all of this, one of my art teachers, Mr. Matt Eunice, he encouraged me to keep a dream journal. And he was kind of like my, my mentor, almost like my therapist in a way. I didn't have one, but I went yeah. to him with all my mm-hmm. problems, such as any art student normally goes to their teacher. There, there's something special about art teachers that other teachers just don't <laughs> communicate. For sure. It's very true. Very true. His um, method of keeping, telling me to keep a dream journal, that changed my entire life. I was finally taking something that was ricocheting around my head and keeping me terrified and depressed. I could finally pour all that out onto paper and observe it. And after keeping that journal for months on end, I was able to look at this journal and uncover certain patterns, things that I was going through, maybe figures within the dreams that appeared frequently that I could actually give names. And once I started having that familiarity of what I was going through in each dream, they became easier to go through because well, I, co- I coined this thing called the fear cycle cycle within sleep paralysis, Mm -hmm. where if you wake up in sleep paralysis and you observe a figure at the foot of your bed, if you feed it fear, the experience gets worse and worse and worse. But if you keep a journal and you allow yourself to become familiar with these entities, you can confront them head on and actually cut that thread between you and that figure. And it stops the cycle of fear. And you're often able to wake up in a quicker manner. Um, And that at least has helped me a lot just by becoming familiar with that. And I guess the root of fear is the unknown. We don't know what Mm -hmm. those characters are. We don't know what's happening. But if we can begin to recognize them, it can change our whole experience or something positive.
1: You've done... so much work, like just on your own and kudos to your art teacher. Like that is so cool. Um, And, you know, you did something on your own that is actually a therapeutic technique. (laughs) Um, So, well, there's a couple different things. There's systemic desensitization, which is basically, you know, we would use this for things like phobias or certain types of anxieties where you like gradually expose yourself to certain things. Also like exposure response and prevention is, is another one. And you basically did that through your your journal for your, your sleep paralysis. And the other thing that you mentioned, which I think is so great to touch on is that, you know, the more that you feed into the fear, or the more that you avoid it, the stronger it gets. This is something I work on with clients all the time. I'll say, like, for example, if you're experiencing anxiety, if you immediately run away from the the thing that's causing anxiety, you're reinforcing it. But if you sit there and you see that eventually the anxiety subsides and goes away, it becomes weaker and weaker over time. And you basically did all of that on your own. It's really really remarkable. Well,
2: well, I can't I can't give myself too much credit because I I mean, I've been surrounded by my family, my friends, my girlfriend, my teachers. I've had such an amazing support system that have all been there for me throughout my whole life and I owe it all to them because they gave me the strength to do something like this. Whereas maybe there's people around the world who do not have that support structure. Right. But what my goal is through my art is I want to inspire young kids to learn more about sleep paralysis, learn more about using art as a therapy and just taking hold of whether it be a journal or grabbing their camera and creating a self-portrait or painting a self-portrait, writing a poem, whatever it is. I want them to use art as a way to learn more about themselves, escape from whatever is daunting them and just change their life for the better.
1: That's awesome. And it actually kind of segues into another area I wanted to touch on real quick because I utilize art therapy in my practice um, all the time. In fact, I have an, an art room and I am so excited to have this deck to use with my clients, especially my teens therapeutically, because, you know, when teens come into therapy, a lot of times if their parents are making them, you know, they don't want to talk. So art is a way to connect with them. And I think your deck specifically is going to open so many doors therapeutically. Um, And I'm kind of curious. So, you know, as clinicians, I think Luna and I know how we might use a tool like this, but in what other ways do you see the Somnia Tarot being beneficial to others?
2: Well, my goal for the deck is to allow people to just really dive into their subconscious and discover treasures and things that just lie beneath the surface. Um, That's basically what I was trying to do through my artwork is just dive into my subconscious and learn more about myself through whatever spills from my, from my dreams to my, pen and paper to my photographs. There's this whole chain of events that happens where I can finally look at this image that I've created and maybe learn something new about myself or cre- uh, see a pattern that exists that I maybe wasn't aware of in the first place. So I really just hope that people are able to look at my deck even as just a proof of concept that you can take something that's extremely daunting like a nightmare and turn it into something positive that can change life. Mm-hmm.
0: Certainly. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this because there are so many different layers that are going on. On the one hand, I'm always really impressed just by the the worldly layers, the fact that you actually went to the trouble of creating this. It's not just making art, but it's also making art and bringing it into the world through publishing a deck. That's no small feat. But then there are these other parts of you sort of talking about the collective of the support that you had around you. And I love it when people thank the people who have helped them because, I mean, truly none of us can do these things by ourselves. Um, I'm really curious um, if you have any thoughts about the idea of the collective unconscious, because the way you're talking, I know that you've done your research around Carl Jung's work and the idea of the collective unconscious. I'm fascinated by the fact that in sleep paralysis there are universal characters. I had no idea that that was true mm-hmm. when I heard it. You say it in another interview. I was like, "That's freaky." Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious, just what you might personally think about why there might be um, collective figures in sleep paralysis, or how it connects to the sleep to the collective unconscious. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: what sense do you make of that?
2: So, from my limited experience with. I guess I'm 27 years old. So in my experience so far, um, with the collective unconscious, my observations have been through reading about sleep paralysis in the past or nightmares in the past, and also taking a lot of anonymous submissions to a forum that I created where people actually share their experiences with me and Mm. those emails that I've received over time where I've actually been able to create a network of like where specific characters have appeared multiple times through history, whether it be the old hag or the hatted man or just a regular silhouetted figure. Um, they've been they've been happening throughout history. And if you ask anybody who has gone through sleep paralysis, they've most likely seen one of these characters. Um, I'm not sure why this is happening. Um, maybe it's just a uniquely human experience. Or maybe when you do enter that world of sleep paralysis where you're stuck between being conscious and subconscious, we meet entities that exist on a different plane. Um, I, from my experience, I, I, it's just really baffling to hear from somebody from Chile or somebody from Germany talk about the same sort of woman in a dress hovering above their bed. Like It's happening all over the planet, no matter what culture you've grown up in. And that to me is just extremely fascinating.
0: It is fascinating. And I, I love that you brought it together in your deck and been able to come up with images that resonate with people, that people can look at that image and say, yeah, that's exactly what I've experienced.
2: The sense of familiarity with these spiritual figures and the fact that people can use my cards to now learn more about them, I think that maybe 100 years from now, we'll learn more about these characters that we're all seeing, and there could be something uncovered. And I hope that with my art and the tools that I create, that people start studying sleep paralysis more and the characters within it.
0: Um, I'm wondering, and if you don't have an answer to this, this is fine, but I really am wondering, as you sat down and started to create this deck, did were there any characters in the deck that you resonated with and thought, oh, that is like one of the entities that I see in Sleep Paralysis? Was there any overlap?
2: Yeah, so many of the characters that are in the tarot deck um, they do resonate with a lot of the characters within Sleep Paralysis, especially like the Emperor, for example, where there is a masculine figure throughout history that's been documented that looms above your bed, and he's menacing-looking and strong and authoritative, and I tried to portray him within my deck as this gray-cloaked figure, and he has an anvil hanging above his head, um, that anvil symbolizing responsibility, and he's actually holding a, the rope that holds that anvil above his head.
1: Like, I love that you just said he was holding um he's holding the anvil, which I think
2: is like pretty power, like a powerful image that there's a Samia Tarot page,
0: yeah. I'm looking at it right now. yeah, Ugh. it's an incredible image, yeah. So, and you know, it's so interesting because it totally links to something that Chan and I have talked about a lot offline, but we'll talk about in a podcast at some point about what's going on with the concept of masculinity culturally today. This sort oh, of, yes. uh, you know, this like holding the anvil over your own head because he's holding the rope, right? Right.
2: So, yeah, within the emperor image, he's holding this anvil above his head and it's tethered by a rope and he's holding the rope himself which I guess to me, the anvil symbolizes responsibility or the responsibilities that an emperor would have, whether it be his kingdom, his family, um, his job or his duty to his people, all that rests above him. And if he lets go of that responsibility, it's going to crush him and destroy him and his throne. Um, That's why I included that symbol within that. But also it does relate back to my sleep paralysis work where the anvil Symbolizes the heavy pressure on your chest and the, mm-hmm. the being pinned to your own bed through this insurmountable weight that sits right above you, um, and that's that nod to my sleep paralysis work where the anvil exists there and the, sh- the silhouetted figure also exists too as the one that stands above my bed.
1: Luna, you talking about masculinity? I'm just now. I'm looking at this image through through that lens and. I might be like reading way too much into this, but now I'm going like, here's the emperor holding the rope that, you know, controls this anvil. He's also got the book that he's holding, which I think that is indicative or representative of your, your dream journal, which I want you to also talk about, but he's shrouded. And I am sitting here going, oh my God, the pressure that is on, if we look at this through a film. Lens of masculinity to maintain a sense of calm or to know how to control everything around you. Yet you you can't see what's happening. You're just expected to to know where the rope is, to hold the rope, to hold the book, to know what's in the book, despite being shrouded. And I think there's so many like so many layers here that could be peeled back and explored on so many different levels, even beyond sleep paralysis so this was a stunning image that captures so much of like the human experience particularly um the masculine
2: experience and you did a fantastic job thank you i can totally relate with with your analysis of that um the the fact that this character he has that immense responsibility above his head. He's also holding this book, which could be either a book of knowledge where you're mm-hmm. somebody's coming to him to consult him for his emperor-like knowledge or his father-like knowledge that he's going to give to whoever's consulting him. Um, or it could also be that he's holding this dream journal and he's maybe that he, it's part of him too. So it's his story and he's holding it in his arm as well. Um, there's a million ways you could go about analyzing this image, but um, oh, for sure. what's, what's so cool about tarot and just analyzing art in itself that you can come to a million different conclusions on cover various dialogues.
1: So just like now that we're kind of like going through the cards, another one that I want to talk about is the tower card because, Oh, like (laughs) this is one of those cards where (laughs) I had a visceral reaction when I saw it. And I was like, Oh my God, like gut wrenching. Um, And I just felt like your representation of the tower card was significantly more meaningful than the traditional tower card itself. Um, I was just like, so struck by it. And I know that your work with the subconscious is, is, has been represented through water. So I'm really wanting you to take a moment to explore what that particular card was like for you to create the conceptualization process behind it. And, um, how you wanted to portray the subconscious, uh,
2: in that particular card. Sure. Yeah. The tower is actually one of my favorite images from the set. Um, Even though it was one of the more difficult to create, it still sits up there as one of my top favorites. Um, the concept for the tower image was actually in my journal for quite a long time, but it never really found its place until I started creating the Samya Tower, where when I was creating all of these images, I was consulting my journals and going through old sketches to see if maybe I could find something that, portrays, whether it be one of the major arcana cards or minor arcana cards. And this sketch of the—this dollhouse that's blazing in flames, tied to this character, covered in rope. He's either emerging or about to enter the ocean that's that's covered in waves, and it's a wicked, stormy day. Um, It never really found its way until I started creating the tarot. I went out onto the shoreline of Long Island and I brought this dollhouse that I rebuilt in the style of one of the previous dollhouses I used within my sleep paralysis work. Mm -hmm. And within this image, I'm portraying having all your responsibilities, your achievements bursting into flames while they're bound to your back and you have to drive on and carry them no matter the conditions because they're tied to you. Um, And I've expressed the tower symbolism through the discomfort of the ropes digging into your chest, the weight of the burning house in your back, Um, Your knees are beating red from the jagged sand, and while the wild ocean waves smash into your back, you're still going through this ordeal. Um, And the water surrounding it, surrounding you while you're carrying this house, could be maybe trauma in your subconscious that's actually coming to the surface as you experience pressures in your waking life. Um, Mm -hmm. I I use water as a symbol for the subconscious within my sleep paralysis work. And my characters are often halfway submerged in water where they're stuck between being in the conscious and subconscious. And that's where I used that symbol within this piece.
1: It was just absolutely stunning. And Mm -hmm. I just, I have gone back to look at that particular card several times. Um, I, it's just so beautiful and haunting. And I actually did. I'm glad that you brought up that it was a similar dollhouse from one of your previous um, pieces of work, because I did notice that. And I was wondering if you had repurposed it, or it sounds like you actually completely recreated it, which is really cool. And another thing that you had mentioned, too, is, you know, talking about the the physical aspect, which I want to get into later on in the interview as well. But um, it looks like you really put yourself through a lot when you're when you're taking these images and, and just the other artwork that you've you've completed, um, it's not just you and a camera. I mean, it's literal like ex, it's an
2: experiential exercise for you, right? I like to consider it more of a performance where yeah, <laughs> I'm creating my props and costumes. I'm dragging all these things out into the middle of the woods or down a mile down the shoreline. Um, I set up my camera and it's just me, my camera, and while my camera is shooting on a, a timer. I'm modeling for each character and I'm either like sunk halfway into a marsh or I'm hanging upside down or I have this dollhouse tied to my back that's on fire. (laughs) But to me, going through those experiences and doing this performance is a therapeutic process in itself where even though it might be a really difficult or um, tasking experience to go through, it's nothing close to what it's like to go through sleep paralysis where I have no control in those dreams. But While I'm in front of my camera, I have complete control over what goes on, and I can become either the protagonist or antagonist within the dream itself through my pictures. And at the end, I have a a picture at the end that I can show to everybody, and it's a positive work of art, and I'm able to relive those experiences that I go through my dreams through a positive lens.
0: You know, Shannon and I were talking about that experience that you were just describing a little earlier, and how much it really reminds us of this technique that's used in some therapy that's called the empty chair technique. Where you have somebody, the client sits in one chair and has a conversation with the empty chair across the room. And the, um, in the empty chair, they imagine that it's, you know, like their angry parent or like their ex-boyfriend or whatever. And then sometimes we have the client shift and actually sit in the other chair and take on that role and speak as the other person wow. as a way of sort of doing exactly what you did. But boy, you just like did it to the 10th degree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Well, I can't recommend that everybody goes out there and ties a dollhouse <laughs> today, but for me, it's been something that has really changed my life. And just hearing from some of the people that have been following me for a while, especially the younger kids, like when I go to speak at schools, um, mm-hmm. the teachers will sometimes send me their self portraits and their stories that they're going through. And I think that if you if you can if you have whether it be a smartphone or your your parents' old camera or just a film camera that you buy from CVS, one of those disposable cameras, if you can take a self-portrait and experiment with that, you might uncover something completely new and maybe change the way that you live your life.
0: Through listening to several interviews and through my own lived experience of showing your Instagram page to my 14-year-old son, you clearly have an ability to reach kids, which I find really amazing because your work is um gorgeous, but I guess I might label it a little disturbing. Sure. Um yeah, but it's like yet you're talking to kids and I will tell you that my 14 year old is like taken with you, is like you're a role model. And I, I'm very delighted to have you be a role model for my son. <laughs> I don't know, like what my question is. It's more like I'm just impressed by this. And how are you, how do you feel? I guess you, do you feel called to work for kids or is that just something that started happening?
2: I think it's been a calling ever since I started creating the work, even just by putting my work out there and receiving messages as a teen from other teens about what they're going through too. Um, And even just in my regular life where a lot of people do tend to come to me with their problems and I try to help them work through it, whether just by like talking to them or like maybe giving them an exercise to do on a piece of paper with a pen. Um, I think it's just something that maybe I was born to do. I don't know how I be- if I believe in like extreme destiny or anything like predetermined destiny, but it's been something that I found that I can do and maybe gives me a purpose where I didn't really know my purpose at all when I was going through sleep paralysis for the first few times in my teenage years and I didn't, I don't know where I would be without my purpose of creating art and bringing awareness to the sleep condition. So I I just, I'm running with it and I'm creating and I'm talking to whoever I can, speaking to kids and helping them get out of their situations. Cause I would hate to see more kids go through what I went through and not know what sleep paralysis is.
1: Right. And have that sense of loneliness. And, um, while you're talking about kids, I do want to hop in because you have some, you have a resource on your website, which I think is so cool. Also kind of based on the honor system for, um, like students. And it's basically, um, could you talk about that for a minute? Because it's a book of prompts. Is that what it is? Like artist prompts.
2: So, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I created a six week artist prompt program. It's digital and you can download it from my website and you can actually download, download it for free with the code student. Um, because I want students to use this and explore whatever I've put into that program where it gives you a prompt for each day of the week, whether it be to sketch something specific or create a self-portrait or research a specific artist and respond to them. Um, It it just keeps you moving and it gives you a whole program to, to learn more about yourself through art and just be exposed to new things and use art as a universal language to talk about your experiences, your feelings, and really just to use art as a therapy. You can download that and explore. It's 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 fun.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. Like I love what you're doing here because like there's so many layers of um, challenging people to look at the subconscious, but also challenging people to fight their or lean into their fear cycle and not to engage in it, and also challenging young people to explore art and also doing this real world thing of saying I'll build a website. And I'll create a free resource. And I'll also make a tarot deck in like a ridiculously short amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) I love it.
2: The uh, creating the sketches for, well, yeah, I I had sporadically thought of the idea, like as I was creating my sleep paralysis work, but it wasn't until the pandemic that I really just jumped on it full force. I started shooting the, the first images in early March of 2020 as the world was shut down Um, There were some local preserves that allowed me to go and shoot there while they were closed. So it was just me, my camera in the middle of a preserve for multiple weeks, just creating and creating. Um, And I finished the last image in November, late November of 2020. And that allowed me to have my exhibition of works in February of 2021. It was a crazy process. I definitely ran myself into the ground a bit (laughs) because I was like, oh, I could probably do this. But then as I was going, I was like, wow, I really need to structure the way I'm shooting and at least get three or two images per day when I go out and shoot. Normally, regular work, I would shoot maybe one or two images a month. But this just kept me focused throughout the pandemic and gave me something to do and gave me a a bigger purpose rather than just sitting home and, and thinking of nothing and being afraid of what's to come from who knows what could have happened when the pandemic started. So I just thought I might as well reframe the, the situation and pivot and create something that is bigger than myself. And if the world ends while I'm doing it, that's completely fine.
0: <laughs> right. At least you'll be happy and uh, inspired.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: You know, that's so cool. Like one of the things I'm noticing there is the duality of sort of like real being in action of I'm going to go out and do all of this, like do my own stunts and take all these pictures while at the same time also like uh, being really intellectual and sort of thinking, okay, like, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do I want to set this up? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the symbols that you were clearly very deliberate in putting in this deck. Shannon's talked a little bit about water. She also brought up the book that we see in The Fool of the World and the, apparently The Emperor. The, um, the ladder, I'm I'm assuming maybe is as like a, an angel reference, the candles for the wands. And we're really curious about the symbol that you used on the back of the card. I just asked you 20 questions. Sorry about
2: that. <laughs> the book within The Fool is, well, the, the Fool image that I've created um, basically describes my experience with sleep paralysis and it depicts a character that's emerging from his bed and he's cut these ties that have bound him to his bed. He's now floating out the window into the unknown, pulled by this unseen force. And sometimes when you'd experience sleep paralysis, you have out-of-body experiences um, where you'll actually leave your body. And I'm Mm -hmm. portraying that within this image. And The Fool, as he's levitating out of his bed, um, he's carrying the scissors that he's severed the ties with and also his dream journal on his side. And as he enters out the world into the unknown, while he goes into the the story of the Major Arcana, he's documenting all these experiences and transformations that he has. And at the end of the Major Arcana, which is the world, we now have a character reading that same journal and learning about all the experiences and transformations the Fool went through as he became from the Fool to the world. Um, So it's like a full circle meaning of the world card now being expressed by reading the journal that existed in the first card of the set, which is the Fool.
0: It's such a thoughtful way of handling
2: that. <laughs> um, and you had also talked about, I think the star was one of your...
0: Oh, I'm really curious about the yeah. star because it's such a different card. Right. It looks so
2: different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I chose to depict the star um, with in a non-traditional way. Normally there's a woman, a nude woman. She's pouring vessels of water into the ground. But mm-hmm. my work, I wanted to pay uh, like an homage to all the the people and kids who who just find their inspiration in the dead of night, whether it be like you rise from your bed at 2 a.m. and you can't sleep. So you go for a really long walk and maybe you go to like your local trail or preserve and you go and you gaze at the stars and you just imagine your future and the possibilities before you while everyone else is asleep. It's one of those periods of time that you can really just truly be by yourself and just experience what it's like to be, alone and really work with yourself on what you imagine the future to be, or you can reflect on past experiences. And we, in the image of the star, we have this character on top of this snowy hill, and he's observing the the celestial bodies before him. And I've often felt like that throughout my life when I can't go back to sleep because I'm afraid to go back to bed. And Mm -hmm. I'll just go for a really long walk and just kind of explore what's going on outside in the world of the night. Beautiful. I wanna hop in real quick because something I
1: really appreciate about what you did with the star image, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but part of me is really hoping it is. <laughs> um, the pathway leading up to the top of the hill is just um ever so slightly more light than um, you know, the other sides of it. So of course, like shadows and stuff, but I love that it's almost like glimmering, so it's like the pathway up to the top, like is like you're on an enlightened path up up to the top where you can see everything and I just thought that was a really like sweet minor detail that you know maybe other people would um would overlook and and I appreciate that you are so deliberate with so much of your artwork even you know the the trail and the footpath up to the top of that hill
2: and even if you think about that path too it's it's not an easy path to walk where you're you're climbing up this big hill and it's covered in snow and you've got a basically climb up with like your your hands and your feet and your your hands are gonna get freezing cold and wet and it's not an easy path to walk up but once you get to the top you can observe something completely new and that whole journey is totally worth it
1: it's beautiful can you talk about the ladder and um, the candles as well
2: sure so within my work i especially within my sleep paralysis work there are a lot of ladders um, and the ladders are often coming out of the water where um, my characters are climbing trying to escape the world of sleep, which is the water itself, and they're in the world of the subconscious, which is above the water. Um, I use that ladder as like a pathway to go either into the, into the conscious world or maybe submerge yourself back down into the subconscious. Um, and I also use within the samya Tarot, the ladder as a bridge between the, the regular world and the spiritual world, or maybe the afterlife as well. Um, the ladder takes the place of the large angels that are featured within Judgment and the Lovers. Um, at least within the rider weight deck, those, those angels do exist there. But I did replace them with this ladder that ascends directly into the heavens, and you can't even see the end of the ladder because it goes out of frame.
0: I love that you do that, that the ladder yeah. is sort of um, this struggle to pull yourself out of the water, but also is this way that offers transcendence.
2: Yeah, it. it the, I've I've used that symbol for a lot of my works, and I've I really identify with that. And just even in my own experience, where I'm climbing within the world of sleep paralysis back and forth, and it's just that one thing that allows you to traverse both of those those worlds
0: gorgeous. How about the candles that we see? I'm really curious about the candles that you put in front of people's faces in the wands.
2: Sure. Yes. So within my sleep paralysis work, I've used candles a lot as a tool to create action, whether it be in my one of my pieces where there's another anvil used where it's suspended and the candle is actually burning away at the rope that's holding the anvil up. And that creates like visual action within the work. And it also, that little spark of flame symbolizes the anxiety you'll feel while you're experiencing sleep paralysis. That's how I use fire within my work. Mm-hmm. But when I was researching the suit of wands, I learned that the element of the suit of wands is fire. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can harmoniously use my candles that I use within my sleep paralysis work as the wands within the Samia Tarot, um, where traditionally it's a staff or a club, but I'm able to use candles, candelabras, chandeliers, burning torches, all of those different symbols to convey the wands within the work. And it created something that allowed me to work within the framework of my sleep paralysis work and and convey all the traditional symbolism within the the suit of wands
1: i was wondering if that's what it was and it's funny because i had this kind of like aha moment recently because i got the youngian tarot deck and it sat on my desk like unopened for a week because i knew it was going to be weird and it was going to be rough but i finally opened it and um that artist also depicts wands with with fire and i realized yeah the wand the suit of wands is indicative of the element of fire and then i was thinking you know because we were preparing for your interview um how you were using the candles and i was like oh my god yeah that's so so brilliant. I haven't, at least in other, any other decks I've seen, I haven't seen like a, a purposeful use of candles. Um, but you know, it's so smart and I love that you did that. Thanks. Thank you.
0: Okay. Now the big one that we really are curious about the symbol that's on the coins and on the back of the deck, we have a debate. We had a debate over what it was. Can you tell us about it?
2: Sure. Um, so for the coins and for the symbol on the back of the deck, I adopted the symbol of the compass. Uh,
0: (laughs) Well called. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I I've used that, that symbol for a pretty long time, especially within my sleep paralysis work where, um, the, the compass is a tool to navigate, you use it for navigation or to measure the distance between two points. Um, in my symbolism, I use one of the points as the conscious and the other point as the subconscious and myself or the self can navigate between those two at with the the tip of the compass where you actually grab it with your hands and you can navigate between the two realms of of the conscious and the subconscious or within the world of sleep paralysis as well. So that- do you
0: have a sail sorry, do you have a sailing background?
2: I do not, but I do live near the water and I, I love yeah. being on the water and kayaking and exploring and it's just I'm I'm very close to the water and I use that in a lot of my work too. So So brilliant. Yeah.
1: Um, another theme that you have is this concept of being shrouded. Um, Can you talk about what the inspiration behind that has been and what it represents to you and why you chose some images to um, be covered and some not to be?
2: Sure. Yeah. So in sleep paralysis, the figures that I see almost always never have faces. Um, So the way I depict them is through a shroud where I do cover them in a gigantic piece of linen and I bind bind them at the neck with a piece of rope Mm -hmm. that allows me to communicate the the figures that I see. And within the Somnia Tarot, I want to pay another homage to those figures that I experience. It also adds like a layer of superiority or mystery to each character because their true self or personality is not revealed. And it creates a separation of familiarity to each of the characters where maybe it's the emperor where he's a bit ominous when you go to talk to him he's still humanoid but maybe he's a little bit more terrifying because you can't see his face or maybe some of the more spiritual characters like the hierophant or um, the character in judgment where there's that layer of superiority that's created where there's this like spiritual figure standing before you They're they're like you but there's something completely different about them Um, That's why I do shroud a lot of the figures within my work.
1: You know, another image that you have that I really enjoy is the hanged man, um, which I think it's so cool. You actually had to learn inversion yoga to do this. Like and I mean, it just shows how dedicated and committed you are to the performance of your work. Um, So I'm curious, was that how you always thought of that image? Or was it something that came about spontaneously? And then how long did it take to learn the inversion yoga and then execute the image?
2: So when I started creating the the ideas for the series, I just created all 78 sketches first, just so I could figure out what props I'd need, what costumes I would need, and where I would need to go to actually shoot the photographs. And once I got to the hanged man, I knew that okay, I'm definitely going to have to hang myself upside down for this just to follow the <laughs> philosophy of how I create because I'm always performing my own stunts. It's just really important to me and to relive traumatic experiences and turn them mm-hmm. into something positive through my art. And it's just funny to, to think about the hanged man and the ordeal that he goes through. It's very similar to sleep paralysis too. So I do resonate with this image a lot. And I, even though it was terrifying to do, I kind of enjoyed going and figuring this whole thing out and building the structure and going through the effort of hanging myself upside down by my <laughs> ankle um, and going through this this short ordeal because it, it was terrifying at first, ju- such as looking at the hanged man for the first time. But once I was upside down, it was kind of calming and serene in a way, which allowed me to almost experience the inverse meaning of the card where you actually rotate the card upside down and he's now doing a jig. There's always like a brighter side to life. Um, there was a moment of serenity when I was upside down, but not for long because I was starting to lose circulation. <laughs> <So> <laughs> put myself back upside down. But it was it was cool to look at build this structure and then sit there at my studio and like, how am I gonna flip myself upside down and and do this safely? So I learned how to grab the rope and flip myself. I actually tied a loop to my ankle first. And then I was able to hook my foot onto the hook that was already on the structure. And that allowed me to be upside down for a momentary period of time and then take my ankle off and flip back to normal, um, in a safe way. So it was really one of the more interesting shoots that I've had in my entire life.
0: It's yeah, such, a cool Im- yeah, such a cool image. Yes. <laughs> such a cool image. Um, we were wondering, and we talked about the list a little bit of, uh, a second ago with the star card, but, um, The tarot deck, one thing that we love about tarot is that it expresses all parts of life, that every human experience sort of can be found in the tarot deck, positive and negative. I'm a little curious about what it was like for you, given the theme of this deck, and given the nature of some of your work, how did you approach some of the more positive cards or the more um, traditionally uplifting cards? You know, if I look at um, something like... uh, two of coins I think is an amazing representation what you did there it's like captures the the essence of that card perfectly but how did you look at the more uplifting cards and like what was your thought process with that
2: you know it was pretty difficult for me to create some of the more happy and uplifting cards because the work I do create it's often really like visceral and and terrifying and sometimes disturbing what I'm creating but it all comes from a positive place where I'm transforming something negative into something positive positive. So just by looking at, at those uplifting cards, I tried to find a way to, one, keep it in the vein of how I normally create, and two, stay true to the actual meaning of the card. Like, for example, in the Seven of Cups, um, I have a, a silhouette in the foreground, and he's surveying these these hanging water pails in front of him. They're all suspended by rope, and they're dangling from the heavens. And we have, instead of the really perplexing imagery from the Rider weight deck where we have like a dragon, a tower and all these other things popping out of the cups. I have the four elements featured where we have air, which is, I have like a cloud of smoke coming out. I have water, fire and earth. And then beside him, we have a, a bucket of gold coins, which is wealth and the bucket of books, which is knowledge. And he's perplexed, but there's all these different things that he can now explore and study. And I almost wanted it to reflect the path of the Magician where we're actually observing like the pre-magician stage where we're observing his process of studying the four elements of the minor arcana. And it's almost like before he becomes the master of his craft, just as anybody who's going into life and maybe wants to learn these, these things that'll help them further their craft, whether it be a musician learning the piano and having to have to learn How to uh, read music or learn technique. Everything is out there before them, but you just have to go out and start studying. That's extraordinary.
1: Something just came up. Um, I'm kind of curious too, because I was looking at your page of cups, or not page of cups, page of wands. And I'm realizing too, because like that's more of a, a positive and uplifting card, because it's, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's about like inspiration and potential. Um, It's one of very few cards that it looks like you you're depicting them inside where the majority of your images are outside. Um, How did you decide which were going to be um, like done inside versus outside? And and what's the thought process behind that?
2: For the page of wands, I wanted him to be almost like he's in his study where he's wow. in this like, dark study and he's now writing messages and he's starting new business deals. He's got this flame of inspiration <laughs> right in front of his face or in front of his mind. And he's about to maybe make a deal or maybe write a message to a new um, business contact or something like that. Um, for the interior ones, it, it was mostly just to fit the scene or maybe the purpose of the character or maybe their personality. That's how I went about trying to choose where i was going to place certain characters whether it be there in the middle of a murky marshland for like um the four of cups where he's tripping through the mud and is about to actually trip over this rope um or we have again the, the page of wands in this this almost like a renaissance stone um, interior room it, it basically just to fit the theme of whatever the character is about to be doing
0: this this whole project really kind of seems like it's one of those like magical things where it just sort of started. You had the idea, the pandemic was working for you and it just happened, uh, which I love when something like that happens. Shannon and I are kind of experiencing that right now with the podcast of so it just kind of is flowing. But were there any cards that you really struggled with where you were like, I just don't even know what to do with this or like where you kind of had a hard time connecting to them?
2: I, you know, I think... It's not that I struggled with it. It was just hard for me to express it, but the 10 of cups was really difficult for me, mm-hmm. even though it's a really positive, beautiful card. Um, I was, one, trying to figure out how can I make an interesting image with 10 pails of water? How can I how can I create something that's visually interesting and also create something that's extremely happy and fulfilling? Um, so I did struggle with that sketch for a while, but I arrived on having 10 of these cups or buckets if you want to call them that they're all stacked on top of each other they're floating in midair almost suspended by like a divine intervention and they're each pouring into each other and at the end all the the water that poured into each other now spills onto the floor of the shoreline and creates a stream that goes out into like the endless ocean behind them and that could be symbolized as all the relationships in your life that you've built they're They're crossing each other and mixing back and forth, and they finally all Mm -hmm. settled into one place. And then they all add themselves to the endless ocean before you, which really results in fulfillment and security. And all those crossing streams of water that I did, I (laughs) didn't intentionally do this when I was sketching it, but I realized that as I was, it creates an X pattern, which is actually the Roman numeral for 10. And you can see repeating in all of of the crossing streams there. So there's some small little hidden symbols that you'll uncover if, if you if you allow yourself to really just be observational.
0: That's just yeah. so lucky. And well done with that card, really. That's the one that I would want mm-hmm. as a print hanging in my house. To kind
1: of continue on that, that theme that we're asking about, like, you know, what different cards meant for you or what the process was like, um, which ones were, which one or ones were
2: most emotionally rewarding or cathartic? I think maybe the death card for me. Mm-hmm. was something that I've always really wanted to create. Um, I've always wanted to work with horses, even though the, the horse in this is not a real horse, I've always wanted to have that symbol within the work. And the way I portrayed the death card is I have a shrouded rider. He's covered in this gigantic linen white sheet and the horse is also covered in the sheet itself. And he's carrying the big black flag that's, that's featured within the Rider weight deck. And he's in the middle of this foggy ocean. He's arrived before you, whether it be to guide you into the afterlife or give you a new message. And I've always wanted to have a character that is more like a Paul Revere-like character bringing a message on a horse. Mm-hmm. Within, because that's how I consider a lot of the sleep paralysis characters I see. They're, they're messengers. They have something to bring. Even though they're terrifying, they may say something to you that you'll remember and write down in your journal. Or maybe they'll remind you of someone you've met uh, they're, they're always bringing you new messages from the subconscious or from some other spiritual realm. And that's how I wanted to per- uh, portray the, the death character on this the shrouded rider sort of symbol that I've created.
1: I love the way you, you speak about the death card. And this is something I was going to ask later on, but I'm just going to ask it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so you talk about the death card being, you know, a messenger. What message do you want the Somnia tarot deck to send? Yeah.
2: I think the goal of the Somnia Tarot is to to really just allow people to, one, experience the world of sleep paralysis and dream journaling, two, to actually see this as an opportunity for themselves to create a dream journal and create something completely new off of their own experiences, and three, just to get a sense of what it's like to go through something that's so terrifying but also is uniquely human and happening across the world by various different people. And it's just a new exposure to the world of the conscious and subconscious. It's where they almost mix together. I think that's what's unique about that sleep condition.
0: Oh, certainly. That really brings me to my next question, which is, um, where do you find your own personal balance with this? I mean, you're so good at speaking about this, uh, walking between these two worlds and also the, what you were speaking about earlier about sort of having, um, a spiritual background in your family. And I know that in previous interviews, I've heard you talk about your great grandmother and, um, a family relationship with tarot. And yet you also have personally found a huge amount of relief in medicine and science and like the practicality of the way the body works. How do, um uh, I I do wonder how you think about this in terms of this is a thing and this is also a thing. How do you get those two worlds to line up?
2: Right, There's, there's dualities to everything. I guess just throughout my life, I've been receptive to all areas of study, whether it be religion, philosophy, science. I've never discounted any of them. I've always kind of just used them as tools in my tool belt to understand the world around us. And just like exploring the imagery within the tarot is not that much different than using art as a communication tool or therapeutic device. I just, I like to use imagery as a universal language and because it packs com- extremely complex messages into an easily consumable medium. Um, I, I just, to me, like I I don't want to lean one way and discount another way of learning about the world, whether it be like my gra- great-grandmother's superstitions, like I take those to heart, but I also find the world of medicine to be fascinating where I actually can figure out why I'm experiencing these sleep conditions, where I actually found out recently that I have type two narcolepsy. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. been the major cause of why I go through the things I do. Like, for example, a lot of people get sleep paralysis through their sleep apnea, or maybe they are getting lack, lack of sleep, and that actually causes it. Or maybe they have another underlying neurological thing going on. But for me, it's always been a mystery. But to find solace in knowing that okay, my condition has a name and it's not something that is perplexing to me anymore. And I can remedy the way I live my life through whether it be therapy or medical therapy. I mean, I don't take any medication for what I go through, but, um, just adjusting the way my lifestyle goes has been really powerful and allows me to continue each day and create.
0: One thing that I say all the time that my clients like laugh about and like say back to me is this concept of two things can be true at the same time. And I'm really struck by your ability at age 27, to have figured that out on your own, Um, probably through the real trauma of going through this sleep paralysis. But to be able to experience yes, and that's something that Shannon and I say a lot, we use improv rules, like that's also true. And this is also true. But I love that you would have done this in a way that isn't therapy, isn't talk therapy traditionally. And it's not um, necessarily um, through the medical, the medical has helped too, but like that you found this other way of experiencing it through art. And I just want people to hear this story so that they can understand, like find your own way to be able to figure out how to be in this world and accept all the dualities of everything
2: around us. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the duality thing is huge. If you discount certain things, you're it's almost like you, you're removing that tool from your tool belt. That, I mean, that's the only analogy I can really think of. It's like, I can pick up certain things from, from philosophy. I can go to certain things from religion or maybe from what my doctor tells me. Um, all those things allow me to navigate the world and navigate the universe in a way that helps me understand what's going on. And I'm not locked into anything that maybe prohibits me from learning something completely new. It's very mentally healthy of you.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I'm kind of curious. So, I mean, and in, in, you don't have to answer this if you're not, you're not comfortable. Um, it can certainly be edited out even if you decide to just answer it for us. But um, how often are you experiencing sleep paralysis now? And do you essentially go to bed with this level of acceptance that you might be experiencing something terrifying?
2: So teenage years, I would have it almost every single night. Now with the th- the therapy I've done through just creating my art, but also working with um, my one of, he's actually a dentist, a sleep dentist. He works with airway issues. Uh-huh. Um, he's He saw one of my exhibitions and he reached out to help me and learn about what I'm doing. He helped me get um, sleep studies done. His name is Dr. Seltzer. He, oh, wow. uh, he built this oral appliance for me that I wear when I go to bed, which gives me just a little bit more air when I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. And that has made a world of difference for me just on the fatigue scale. And it also has diminished a lot of what I do go through within sleep paralysis, but I still do get it maybe once a week or if, I mean, obviously if I'm really stressed out, I'll have it a lot more, Mm -hmm. but it's given me, I guess, a level playing field where I'm not having it every single time I go to bed anymore, which is really, I'm just so thankful for because it was really taking a toll on my health and who knows what health things I'll go through in the future, but. Um, the, the generosity of people that are out there in the world. If they see your story, then they might be able to help you. And I'm just really thankful for those who do reach out and try to help me on my journey so I can continue to create, stay healthy while also dipping into the world of the subconscious and learning more about it as well so beautiful.
1: So essentially when we discovered your work, um, you know, we were both kind of quick to acknowledge the fact that Somnia Terra was was, um, even though about, even though it represented sleep paralysis, it certainly represents this message and experience of resilience. Um, I also see it as a massive exercise in vulnerability, which I like love talking about vulnerability. I love when my clients and the people in my life choose to make themselves uncomfortable in order to grow. And I feel like you just embody that. Um, But you're putting yourself on display in I think more ways than people even maybe even realize just by seeing your your art online. And I, I think you dove into a lot of that in this interview today. But, you know, you're not just sharing this like intimate, like terrifying experience that you have with sleep paralysis, But you are the person like literally like orchestrating everything, um, you know, from sketching to photographing, creating all the props, like scouting the sites, designing the sites, editing the images. I mean, and I'm sure you also play the role of 20 other, you know, jobs that I haven't said, but like (laughs) that's going to be exhausting. So I'm kind of curious. What are you doing when you're not creating?
2: Yeah. So just art is really giving me a purpose. Like otherwise, when I was a child, I really didn't know what my purpose was. So I love going above and beyond to create what I do. Um, I just love being a part of every part of my process, whether it be building the props or costumes to modeling for the characters. It's, it's really exhausting, but <laughs> the, the fulfillment of creating it just outweighs everything that I go through. And um, when I'm not creating, I pretty much, I'm always creating cause that's just my, my nature, but um, when I'm not creating, I love doing martial arts, whether it be like historical European martial arts, like sword fighting and such, um, I do <laughs> archery. Basically, my foundation in creating sculpture and costume is actually from being a kid and making wooden swords, tablecloth capes, and all these things. Mm-hmm. For me and my neighborhood friends, we would just run around in the woods and create stories. And I often go back to those places actually to use them as sets, whether it be like the, the woods near my house or... The beaches that we would run along with our capes and run down the shoreline. Um, I just go back to those places and feed off of that energy. But I, I love anything with like medieval or like sword fighting, archery. I love hiking, playing various instruments. Um, just, I, I like to surround myself with art, and I think it's really important. Even like if you're a photographer, I think it's important to experiment with different mediums, just as if you're a painter, maybe you should try sculpting something one week. Or um, if you're a writer, try taking a photograph. I think if you expose yourself to different mediums, it's like almost like learning new languages. And if you build up that repertoire, you can really orchestrate, like you said, orchestrate your own vision where you don't need to hire uh, somebody who knows how to sew. You could do it yourself or you can maybe set up your own set. Or maybe, I don't know, there's a million different things you could be doing as long as you expose yourself to them. And I think it's really important to try everything you can.
0: Yeah, for sure. You're quite the renaissance man. And again, I will ask, um, because my son wanted me to ask, do you actually know how to blacksmith?
2: Yes, I do. I'm not anywhere close to being professional, but I did... I was a teacher's assistant at Haystack School of Crafts for one of my professors, Stephen Yusko. Um, We did like a three-week program there, and I I assisted and I I helped out the class while everybody was learning how to smith. Um, I made a few of the armor pieces within the Samia Tarot. For example, the Knight of Swords, I created the breastplate and the shield. Oh, wow. That breastplate also finds its way into the King of Swords, and I also forged the lantern for the hermit. So there's a lot of like sculptural elements within blacksmithing that I've done that actually found their way into the Somnian whereas they normally didn't fit into my sleep paralysis work.
0: That's amazing. I, I, that was really just a one-off question, but like, yeah, wow, that impressive. was so cool. <laughs> um, I think that we would really love to really end with you telling us about more about where we can find your work but first may we ask you to pull a card for the collective
2: sure yeah i have the deck here so the decks are currently in production but i do have a pre-production sample here which looks totally awesome i just posted some pictures of it on social media um i have let me go through and shuffle it i am not a tarot reader but i do create the cards themselves i would consider myself more of a card Smith than a a tarot reader. (laughs) Um, so we've got the Ace of Cups.
0: Oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites.
2: So that's, that's a really cool image and the meanings behind it too. In my Ace of Cups that I've created, I have this wishing well that that's portrayed and we have a hand reaching out from out of frame and he's cranking the, the well and the the bucket is actually coming up and the, the bucket is over pouring with smoke well, not smoke, but more of like a, a mist. And we have the the wells actually overflowing onto the ground, too. I built this well out of foam. I sculpted foam. Oh. I used old wood and old shingles. And this well actually appears in my sleep paralysis work for one of my pieces, where we have two characters emerging from the well, and it's overflowing, too. So it's a nod to my sleep paralysis work as well
0: it's a lovely car. i mean i love the card that you made i can remember looking at it that's how powerful your images are those that like i can just see it um i think you handled it really well again that goes to that conversation about like how do you handle a positive card because it's an incredibly positive card yeah. um right it really is and i love that you pulled that card for us for the collective because to me um that card in the very traditional deck is the one where there is a chalice and there's a dove that's coming down, which if mm-hmm. you are familiar with uh, the the Christian stories and actually like also the Old Testament, so this is true for Islam and, and Judaism as well, is that that's the, um, the covenant of God's promise of after the great flood and um, Noah and the boat and all the animals, the dove appears as the promise that... Um, that God would never destroy the earth again. And I feel like as we come out of pandemic, that is very much a a wonderful card of um of hope for all of us. <laughs>
1: I totally agree with that. I think it's definitely also a car, based on what Nicholas, what you were saying earlier too, it's a card of like, an, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to be creative. It's an invitation to explore. Um, it's an invitation to kind of like start again. Um, you know, which Luna, you know, you talking about this religious aspect, I tend to look at especially the tarot from like a secular spirituality realm. And so I think that's why it's so cool because, you know, so many of us can bring in these different experiences. Is. You know, you were able to tie it to um, this religious experience and I can tie it to this more secular, like creative opportunity. What are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. What What are you going to allow yourself to do? What are you going to invite in? Um, so, yeah, wonderful, wonderful card. Thank you so much for uh, drawing a
0: card for us.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for that analysis. That's really beautiful. <laughs>
0: And please do tell us and share with our listeners where they can find you, all of the projects that you have coming up, because it sounds like there's a lot, and um, how they can be a part of this amazing experience.
2: Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Nicholas Bruno, N-I-C-O-L-A-S-B-R-U-N-O. Um, and you can also find the Somnia Tarot project on Instagram at Samia Tarot. And the website to pre-order the deck and other really cool tools that I'm creating is samiataro.com. And you can visit my website at Um I, I'm going to be having a video documentary coming out very soon, which will be cool. And I'll be posting that on social media. Um, oh, I also have a handmade jewelry website that's based on a lot of my sleep yeah, paralysis yeah. work, which is Jewelry.com. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know about the jewelry.
0: It's stunning. <laughs> Wait, it's stop so beautiful.
2: <laughs> handmade in New York here. I designed all these pieces, and I work with a local jewelry caster who who helps me create all these pieces. And they're all the symbols that I pull from my sleep paralysis work, whether it be the hand from my one of my more popular pieces that's holding a pair of scissors, or we have some of the original sketches that are transformed to almost look like wax seals. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just doing a lot of, of really interesting stuff that i hope you guys enjoy and i can't wait to send out the decks and thank you to everybody who's pre-ordered them so far and we're, i'm hoping to get them at the end of the summer and then once they're here i'm going to start shipping them all out and i can't wait to see what you guys do with them
1: um thank you so much for your time
2: I totally get, thank yeah you for having me and giving me a platform to talk about what i do it's i really appreciate it
1: Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at the Tarot Diagnosis, and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com.